You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Kent Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. Thank y'all so much for listening. A little bit of a new schedule. Not trying to throw y'all off too much, but... You're going to be getting the mailbags on Monday, so be looking on Sunday for a call for questions. You're going to be getting the AP Draft Show on Wednesdays, and you'll be getting another episode of the AP Laboratory on Friday. That's our schedule here in the AP Laboratory. And by we, I mean my dear pals. First, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane, you have had yourself a week, my friend. First of all, I'm a man bound by no schedules, so let's start right there. Second of all... (laughs) Yes, I I had a nice, fun little vacation in the mountains. Come to find out, uh, we happened to lose power to an ice storm right as we left. A lot of animals and livestock, you know, hanging out at home while I'm hours away. Come home, my yard's full of trees from the front to the back to the pond, everywhere. It's been eventful, but I love the fact that here, out of normal schedule, because again, bound by no schedule, I'm sitting down with my great pals <laughs> to record this podcast because I get to look at Kent and his nice Callaway hat and the very, very handsome Renaissance man himself, Gregory Stout. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. We got about half a foot of snow on the ground here down in Wichita. So staying warm, just trying to stay warm like most of our listeners in this area of the country are right now. I hope everybody's heat is working properly and you are able to stay as warm as possible. Just stay safe if you can, everybody. Yeah, wild, wild week here. I've I've been going... So here's the thing, guys. I've been trying to be a little bit active. Kid number two on the way. Uh, I need to drop this COVID-19 before uh, he, he gets here. Oh, And I said... I just... Revealed the gender. Do not tell my wife. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. Can this be a secret between everybody on the podcast? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Congratulations. She. <laughs> Thanks. She's not on Twitter anyway. It's all good. Just don't tell her. It'll be fine. Maybe. She's gonna kill me. Uh, I've been trying to. I've been trying. I've been walking in this stuff still. And I'm insane. And it's, you know, once you get going, it's not too terrible. It was a negative 19 wind chill today, though. I mean, absolutely brutal. So everybody be safe. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you're staying warm wherever you're at and not psycho like I am. All right, we're going to answer a bunch of questions uh, because you guys asked a bunch of them. We start with the five-star reviews. Uh, I want to shout out Shit Up Pun, intent, pun Intended. Uh we did answer your question about Marty and TP. I think we did a, a, a good 10 minutes at the beginning of the show. Uh, so if you want to go back and listen to that, uh, you can, you know, that, that'll be a way to kind of do that. I do appreciate you giving us a, a request to do that, though. Swanson's Buffont. If you're McCall Hardman, what does he need to do to work, uh, or what does he need to work on most to be a passable wide receiver three in the National Football League? Um, I think there is a path for him to being a wide, a successful wide wide receiver three. I just think he needs to be more consistent, and he needs to really build off the vertical plane of his route tree. And that really hasn't happened. Look, I believe there are some physical limitations to McCole Hardman. I know that's weird saying something about a guy that is uber fast and one of the fastest guys in his draft class, uh, and one of the you know fastest you know we one of the fastest guys in the National Football League, but. I think he's really tight in the hips. And I think part of the reason you really haven't seen him be able to advance his route tree much is because he struggles to change directions, to sink his hips and really get good rotation out of his hips to be able to make sharp breaks. Um, and it's not that no, I mean, there's, there's guys in the national football league that are able to mask that, but you've really got to continue to build off that vertical plane and be able to utilize your speed, your vertical speed to threaten uh, and push, you know, for depth and then break off an out route. 
And I think I think there was some progress there. I think you saw some improvement with the out route. Um, I don't know if <laughs> I I don't know if I don't know if there's a if he's going to be able to overcome some of the tightness in his hips though. Like that's something that doesn't get better over time. You've got to just kind of learn to work around it. Um, if the Chiefs trust him enough, uh, they'll find ways to utilize him and and play to his strengths. He hasn't really done a ton to earn those opportunities to this point. So they try to get him, you know, opportunities to utilize the speed in the first 15. And then he falls off the face of the earth whenever the offense actually has to run offense. So um, he's got to continue to build off that vertical plane. And hopefully, you know, he makes some strides. I don't think he'll ever be a wide receiver too tight. I don't think he'll ever be the third t- pass catching option on this offense. But they need him to make some advancements and some growth. And they need him to grow here. And this is a this is massive year for him. This is a massive make or break year for McCole Hartman, I think. All right, AP Nerd Squad at gmail.com questions. Chris Smith emails in. What do you guys think of Chase Young saying Lucas Niang was the best tackle he's faced in college? Is the future at right tackle bright for us even if Mitchell Schwartz retires? I mean, it's not dim. Uh Lucas Niang, part of the reason that he fell as far as he did in the 2020 NFL draft is because he had a hip labrum issue. And he struggled with his pass sets. He basically had to change up everything in his game to be able to play tackle. He was able to do that at a functional level at TCU. He did not allow a sack in his time there. When he was in 2019... When he was in 2018, 2019, I should say, he looked healthy. He looked really, really good. And he gave Chase Young fits. Like, Chase Young was destroying people on the edge. And Lucas Niang got to line up outside against him and looked really good doing that. You saw what Chase Young was able to do this year in the NFL. A very smart football player, or very smart football player, very powerful football player, very athletic guy. Lucas Niang was able to hang with him pretty well. So I do think if Lucas Niang is healthy, you've got a ridiculously high upside right tackle there. I'm very excited to see when he was drafted. They talked about moving him to guard. The three of us condoned for him to stay at tackle because we'd seen that ceiling in previous games. So that's great. I hope I hope he comes back healthy and is able to do that. Uh, Christopher emails in, if the Chiefs for some reason trade up in the draft, which player would you be okay with and who would you or who would be worth taking? As always, when it comes to specific draft questions, when you're taking on like a specific pick, it depends on who's available. And I think especially when you're talking about trading up or down, it's really dependent on the tiers of players that are available once you start to rank them. So if you say you get within a trade upable distance, like 25 from where the Chiefs are currently sit, where you're not having to give up too much, that's a move that you're willing to make to give up that compensation. And you have a tier one player on your board still available. Say it's Quiddy Pay, edge rusher out of Michigan because the NFL is overthinking the lack of length there or something. That's a move that I'd be willing to make. Say you have a tier one offensive tackle or tier two offensive tackle for you and it's the last one, like a Samuel Cosme, an offensive tackle out of Texas. Go ahead and make that move. You just don't want to be trading up if you have a bunch of guys in the same bucket and you might be able to still get one of them at 31 or even by trading back. So you should only be doing it to get the final guy in a specific tier of players. That's why I like. I would be very surprised if the Chiefs trade up to acquire an offensive lineman because I think there's such good value from you know, just throughout the entire draft. I'd be a little surprised if, if the Chiefs were to make a move up. Maybe if one of these receivers falls. I mean, I I'm gonna Maddie. The, the league is overthinking Devontae Smith, and he's there at 25. Are you tra- are you trading up? I don't think I'm trading up for a receiver uh, at any point in time in the NFL anymore. I think you can just receivers become a position that is so dependent on how you utilize them. And I don't think the Chiefs need a wide receiver one, somebody that can do absolutely everything at all times. If we were looking for a guy like that, sure, trade up and get one. But when you're the Chiefs, you're looking for a little bit more of a specific player like most teams in the NFL are going to be. I don't think you trade up in that situation. Okay, I'm going to throw this other one out, you two. So the Chiefs, let's, let me do the, I'm going to do the trade chart math real, hit, real quick on this because I want to look at it. Their first and second round picks should get them, would get them about to 20. Let's just say hypothetically... Kyle Pitts is there at 20. The league has overthought him. 
would you go up and trade your first and second round pick for Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida? That's a lot of draft capital to trade up. Again, we're talking about a position that when you trade up for historically, the return on investment isn't great. You don't have your best tight ends. You haven't often come from the first round for various reasons, but Kyle Pitts is such a good player. I would be on the fence about it. I mean, somebody would have to convince me of it. I'd be willing to listen, but somebody would have to convince me if I was in charge, that is the move that has to be made. Yeah, no, I, I just curious. I'm just like, it's really fun. And this is something I think we need to be transparent and, and really embrace um, as a Chiefs community. Mock drafts and some of the questions that we ask and, and some of these hypotheticals are really valuable for all of us to play that game together, to think through how we would evaluate. Everyone listening to the show, I think it, it can be valuable for these thought experiments and these exercises to try to think through what your thresholds are and, and these kind of things and the strategy. It's I think that's one of the most fun things about the offseason is every fan gets to play in their head how they would approach different things. So, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, like mock drafts, for instance. I saw some people upset like about with Jason Owe. We're going to try to provide a bunch of different scenarios for you this offseason because it's valuable for everyone to have these, you know, to think through all these things. So you may not like Jason Owe, and that's okay. We're going to keep presenting different opportunities. We can we can give you Landon Dickerson for the third time that week if you want, but I think it's a good thing for us to continue to throw ideas out there and concepts, and I think this is a safe space for everyone to spitball some ideas. Well, and so. just speaking of mock drafts with specific players, think about mock drafts a little bit differently than specific players. Think about not only the position, but more so the type of player. Don't get too focused on the actual name because it's a mock draft. We're all just randomly guessing or guessing players out of what a machine puts on a screen for us. Like, Instead, look at the type of player. When you're looking at Jason Owe, don't focus on the name. Focus on the fact that it's a long, super athletic pass rusher, and the justification for picking him is long, super athletic pass rushers have the highest hit rate. That's what makes him appealing not because of who the actual player is. And then, like Kent said, you don't want to hear us sit here and say the same eight names every single week until we get up to the draft. There will be some variety in the rationale behind it. Just don't get sucked in too much on the actual name. Look at the type of player, the position they play, and why that might make sense. And for the record, I would be okay with Jason Owa after doing that experiment. I actually would be okay with it. I know some people probably aren't as high on that because of the lack of sack production. But that dude's best football is way ahead of him. And his traits are... I mean, someone compared... I saw someone compare him to Tano Passanio. And I was just like, the athletic traits of Jason Owa compared to Tano Passanio are unbelievably different. Jason Owa is just a different level athlete. But it's good to Jason, hear all these... Jason Owa reportedly ran a 4-3-40 at 255 pounds. Like, he's a freak athlete. And he's not bad at football. He just hasn't been productive from a sack perspective. So compare him to Daniil like, Hunter. I think that is the very easy comparison ooh, that you're like, going like to see come out of everywhere. A guy that had almost negative production in school. Oh, it was better than Daniil Hunter was in college, by the way. And that's, I mean, that's more of where I would go because it's the player prototype fits a little bit better. So if that makes you feel better, substitute Daniil Hunter in as the pick and just see if that changes your mind because that's just the prototype you're looking at. I'm not saying he's going to be him, but that's why you would draft Jason Owa in the first round. Yeah, I hope you all have fun kind of playing the scenarios because that's kind of what we're doing when we're on the show is we're just we're just fleshing out scenarios and stuff in our head with a lot of this stuff too. We're kind of just taking some of our DMs and our conversations that we have throughout the week and just kind of putting them and fleshing them out into audio form sometimes too. It's just some of our thought processes. So uh, play around and see what you guys think too. I think that's one of the interesting things about the offseason. What I love so much about it is getting to formulate my own opinions and strategies. So um, hopefully you guys are doing that as well. Uh, Legion of Zoom. Time for the Twitter questions, by the way. And I guess there's some extra M's here. So Legion of Zoom. Chances the Chiefs are interested in JJ Watt, and what would it take, uh, or what would the what would it take to clear some cap to sign him? I guess. I I think the chances are very high that the Chiefs are interested in JJ Watt because he's an ultra productive pass rusher. He's a good run stuffer, and Steve Spagnuolo wants another one of those guys. Whether he plays DT, whether he plays defensive end for this team, he is capable of doing both. He has a little bit of inside out versatility. I think JJ Watt is still a ridiculously good pass rusher, run stuffer, just a ridiculously good football player. 
even with you know everything that happened last year. So I do think that the Chiefs would be interested in him if the price was right. Chiefs don't have any cap room. They're going to have to move around a bunch of stuff. I, I think we might have our buddy Bearcat on in the near future to discuss some of this stuff from the cap perspective. But they are going to need to move money around just to get guys in-house for next year. Adding another contract like that is going to be steep. It's just going to depend on what J.J. Watt is asking for here. I, Joel Corey tweeted something out the other day that said $17 million is too high for what he would guess is the NFL says J.J. Watt is worth. That's still a lot. Like the Chiefs can't afford another $17 million contract, especially along the defensive line. So they would have to move somebody probably on that defensive line to try and create some space there. And I just don't know how comfortable they would be trying to do that. I mean, like Craig said, we'll have a cap expert on the podcast at some point in time to help us go through this because numbers are not my thing. I have gone to cap school this offseason. I do know that the Chiefs have around $26 million that they can clear just by, you know, maybe extending Tyron Matthew, maybe extending Eric Fisher, moving or converting some of Patrick Mahomes' money to a different place. They have money they can make and maybe even force J.J. Watt underneath what they would save from those things. The issue is that would run you out of money entirely right away almost again. I doubt you would see J.J. Watt come into Kansas City without making a significant move. And I've had a heck of a day, so I'm going to go ahead and let everybody get mad at me again. That significant move is very, very easy to tell. Go to the Chiefs roster, look at their cap situation, and find the most expensive contract with zero dead money. Hint, he plays defensive tackle for the Chiefs and just signed a really big contract last year. His contract is 110% tradable with no penalty to the Chiefs. If they wanted to go get J.J. Watt, I think trading Chris Jones would be the most logical way to clear the money and make space for him. Not that the Chiefs will, just that would be the most logical path to make everything fit and work. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the scenarios that you could play. Um, it's just it's hard to find like any outside of that. There's really hard to find any moves like you, it's going to be the sum of the parts outside of that. So that's going to be something just to kind of monitor and see what happens. Um, like Frank Clark, $5.4 million trying to trade him. You save $5.4 million in cap trying to trade him. So like if the Chiefs kind of look at this and say, run it back, failed. It didn't work. We're going to try We're going to try to shake some things up here and move some things around on this football team. There's not a ton of major moves that they can, you know, make, I think to really make an impactful, you know, you know, clear some cap. I mean, you know, it's just, this is just going to be a fascinating offense off season. And I do think the chiefs are going to shake some things up. I don't know how that manifests itself, but I do really think that this football team is going to do something that we're surprised by because that's what Brett Feach does. Brett Feach is aggressive. Brett Feach goes out and does and moves and shakes, and he does it without fear. Uh, and he's been aggressive the entirety of his time here in Kansas City. I don't know why a year where they fell short of the ultimate goal on the doorstep of running it back. Do we think this is the year that Brett Veach is just going to sit on his tail and just not do anything? Honestly, guys. I don't think he can. I think coming off of that Super Bowl loss, like this is a time where he does... Not that he's actually on a hot seat or anything like that. But no, this is, he just but, got a huge extension. Right, but this is the moment to where he does kind of need to continue to put a stamp on here. He's going to keep coming up to some questions about his drafting because, I mean, there's definite ups and downs. He's made some questionable free agent moves that have helped the team and hurt the team, but he's flirting with the line of everything he's done wrong has been saved by Patrick Mahomes. And without him, what does the Brett Veach team look like? So yeah, I do think this is a big offseason for him to start to put the Brett Veach twist on it that does need to start hitting a little bit better. And I think getting shellacked in the Super Bowl is a pretty good you know, kick in the butt to go out there and make sure you make another move and don't just sit on your hands again. I think the counter to that will probably be, well, if the offensive line wasn't, you know, wasn't uh, hurt, 
the, the game would have been closer. No, that team was getting smacked. No team in the last five years has won a Super Bowl without adding significant pieces. The Chiefs are the only team to make it back to the Super Bowl without adding significant pieces in free agency. So like, it's just, you don't win that way in the NFL. Expecting to run it back was a strategy that only made a semblance of sense because of the COVID rules year. And what you saw was the team that did add a bunch of pieces that started getting better and better as the year went on that added a bunch of guys, that's the team that won. Weird. So, yeah, I think this is... I really do think that this could be a more surprising offseason for this football team than than we think. I really do. Which is fun! I don't... I mean, well, we'll see how fun it is. Because, you know, don't always... You know, we'll see where we'll see where Brett Veach is willing to be aggressive. You know, if it's Allen Robinson, I'm kind of, you know, kind of hype. But you got to figure out how to pay Allen Robinson, too. It's all over the place. The layman's terms. What is the position with the least amount of quality players in the draft? I like this question. Well, I know what Ken's going to say, and I know what Matt's going to say. So I'm just going to go ahead and take not one of their two answers and say it's cornerback. Like Cornerback is thin this year, you guys. I, I mean... There's a couple guys at the top end. Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn's very good. Greg Newsom is up there for a lot of people as well. But then after that, you got a lot of slot guys. You got a lot of guys that are pretty stiff. You got a lot of guys that are limited athletes. A lot of it, It's just not particularly good after that. Like It's a pick-your-poison sort of thing. After that moment, there'll be some guys that I probably fall in love with, you know, that are kind of day three guys that maybe have some room to grow. But typically you can get into day two and maybe get a guy that can step in, be a spot starter in his rookie year, and you can have some hope that they can project and grow as a cornerback. I don't see very many of those guys this year. It's frankly just a really, really rough cornerback class. So I'm going to say that, but I think it's actually probably behind the two that these two are going to say. Well, for me, I just wanted to talk about like the defensive tackle class, guys, is not good. It's not good at all. But unlike cornerback and defensive tackle, you can find a guy that's only good at one thing, and that can maybe become a quality player. You can find a 350-pound guy that can just hold his ground, and, and maybe not good, and maybe not even quality, but it's pretty close. You can find a smaller, undersized, quick guy that can provide sub-package rushing ability, and so that kind of makes him a quality player. I think for that reason alone, I can't say it's defensive tackle, and I'd put cornerback as worse as well than that, just because you can't be good at one thing as a corner. You have to have a good skill set all around. That said, this is a Maddie answer, tight end, because the, no class ever has a lot of quality players at the tight end position. You're gonna, you have the high-end talent with Pitts, maybe Pat Fryermuth, Brevin Jordan, you might find one or two more guys in there that become quality players, but like, that's your ceiling. Your ceiling is the like Tommy Trimble slander. Your ceiling is like five quality tight ends because it's a position that's really hard to translate from college to the NFL. That's a lame answer. Maddie answer. That's an extremely Maddie answer. I do want to add, oh, I want to preface this except for the position I'm about to talk about. I do think if you look at, you know, you talk about the corners, it doesn't mean that there's a, a completely devoid, devoid of talent and a third round player that, or a guy that gets drafted in the third round isn't going to pan out. It's just if you look at the landscape of this, you're betting on less of these guys converting than you normally would in a given year. So, like, I, I just, like, I, I want to make sure we have the right perspective. It doesn't mean that this is a completely void of talent group. It's just that typically maybe your fifth best corner isn't a third-round grade. But maybe this year somewhere, you know, it's kind of like that, you know. It's not completely devoid of talent. You know what is completely devoid of talent is the quarterback class. Uh, and yeah, Craig did know exactly where I was going to go with this. I would have said cornerback too, probably though. Uh, but I will add another position to this conversation. Obviously the guys at the top. Great. After that, there are going to be, there might be undrafted free agents that wind up with write-ups for me in the KC draft guide this year. Um, there's just, just not a ton of guys, even those mid tier swings in the middle rounds. I'm excited about just flat out. There's not a ton of guys that really get me excited. I don't think anybody in the senior bowl helped themselves um, outside of that top four quarterbacks, which I mean, depending on how you look at the quarterback position in general, maybe you've kind of just are okay with that. And you're just kind of accepting the fact that there really isn't a ton of guys worthy of a, of a quality swing or, or taking a chance on anyway. 
I think it's especially bad this year. Like, I don't think there's any middle class whatsoever outside of like a Kyle Trask and a Mac Jones. But Mac Jones might wind up getting bumped up too because everyone's desperate. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break and we will be back with more of your questions right after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're continuing to answer your questions. We're on the Twitter questions. And uh, Dylan Dutton asks, I like this one, Allen Robinson or Joe Tooney? I would throw in the guard that I think better fits in Brandon Scherf over Joe Tooney. I just think he's closer to what the Chiefs are angling to do on the offensive line. If I were faced with these two guys in particular, I'm going to lean Allen Robinson. I would probably take Allen Robinson over either offensive guard, if I'm being honest. I've always wanted Allen Robinson to be a Chief. I do think the Chiefs need more help at offensive line than they do receiver from a big contract standpoint. It's just I'm not sure overpaying an offensive guard which is you're going to have to do to get a guy in. If you pay a best the, one of the best players at their position, you're overpaying them. And to get one of those guys in, I think I'd rather spend that money on the outside rather than on, you know a guy surrounded by other players. Uh, Jackie, I, I, I would go all in on Allen Robinson. I love Allen Robinson. Uh, he'd be a really fun ad. Jackie Jared 428, do you think there's a better chance that the Chiefs trade up or trade down in this draft? Brett Veach has yet to trade down. In this draft, he is traded up or in to every single draft to this point. So he's traded up in his first two drafts for Breland Speaks and McCole Hardman. He traded back in for Bo Pete Keys. This man is aggressive in trying to acquire players he specifically wants. Uh, the trade-ups have not been fruitful to this point. I would love to see the Chiefs move back and start their draft at around 40 and take whatever the best offensive lineman available is, because I think there's going to be a big middle class of offensive linemen, and I would love to see this team continue to accumulate assets in that day three or that day two sweet spot, because I do think this is a really strong day two class, um, and some guys in day one that you know are some guys on in the in the first round, you know that's where the that's where that pocket really starts, I think. So. Um, I really like that class and I wouldn't be, I'd be really cool if, you know, just starting your draft at 40 with like a Landon Dickerson. I'm, I'm going to probably be talking about this a lot this entire offseason. Techno Brad asks, I think we can all agree that Hardman did not develop the way we would have liked in year two. I'm worried that Willie Gay might be the same. Can you guys break down what you saw in him over the season to indicate that he will improve next season? I think you look at Willie Gay and you see a guy whose athleticism is NFL quality. Like, that's his best attribute is that he is explosive, he can run, and he's a fairly fluid mover out there. That should give you hope in it of itself. Now, I was really interested to see the way that he was going to finish the season. Like, that was going to be very important to me. To see the way that he finished there, especially those lack of reps that he was getting all throughout the season, they increased due to injury, but he wasn't always playing next to Anthony Hitchens. And when he was having to play next to Ben Neiman, I think, you know, you have so many things in flux that it's hard to really get a good read on the guy that way. I think he needs the full offseason. I think he needs the playbook, needs to know the expectations of him, which he does now and make the necessary adjustments to be able to be that presence on the field. He knows what it takes to get on the field for Steve Spagnuolo now because he wasn't able to get on the field. He knows the steps he needs to take. He knows the work he has to put into the playbook, and he is probably going to be glued to Anthony Hitchens for most of this offseason because he knows he has to be if he wants to get on the field. I think the desire's there. We know the athleticism's there. I think the work ethic's there as well. I just think it's a matter of getting all three of those things to combine, and I expect that that's going to happen this offseason. D. D Johnston 29, is the decision on Eric Fisher the biggest of the offseason? Uh, I think on its surface, yes. I absolutely agree with that. 
Um, I think you know you could see like you know there may there might be a surprise move here or there that we're not really all thinking about too much. Maddie kind of threw one of those out there. Maybe it's a Frank Clark. Maybe there are maybe there is a big decision on one of these bigger ticket guys. I think Tyron Matthews safe. Ty Ty Hill. The offensive guys are safe. Maybe like a maybe like a Frank or a Chris. One of those guys. I think there's not much you can do with Hitch. Uh, you know, maybe they try to remove, they move some of that money around on the defensive line as far as like a surprise move kind of thing. But like the one on its face that makes the most sense that we're not really having to dive deep into speculating about, I think is Eric Fisher. You're right. Uh, easiest, uh, one to kind of look at. You got a guy coming off. He's in his thirties. He's, he's coming off an Achilles injury. Uh, the chiefs are going to leverage that point blank into the conversation that they're about to have with Eric Fisher. Uh, and it's either going to be an extension or I, who knows if they cut him. I mean, they can save some money cutting him as well. It's going to be really fascinating. There's, I, again, this is going to be a very fascinating offseason for this team. I cannot wait to see what, what, what happens out of this. It, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Wasted motion. Seems that there are a lot of bigger safeties that could fill a dime linebacker role on late day three in this draft. Any names you would be excited about? Craig. Oh, late day three. That's that's the caveat there. But I'm gonna give you day three. Just have all of day three. Okay. Honestly, I, I'm not. It, it, it just do all of day three. My my dude, Jacoby Stevens might be there in day three. I you know the the 2019 tape was great. The 2020 tape was okay, and the Senior Bowl was not great. So I I think that they are already kind of moving him to linebacker, and he didn't look great at the Senior Bowl doing that. So teams may shy off of him. I think he's going to test well, though, so I don't know that he'll be there. Guys that will. Uh, let's talk about Divine Diablo from uh, Virginia Tech. Guy that we did get to see at the Senior Bowl. He is huge. He's 6'3", 226. He had four picks last year. A good production player as a box safety type guy. He is stiff. He is not fluid at all. You know, he got routed up pretty badly in a lot of those drills. But if you are asking him to step in there, he, he was very vocal. You're asking him to step in there, call some stuff as the dime linebacker, and not, you know, entrust him with having to cover dynamic players in man all game long. I think he could do a lot worse than a guy like that. And he's got the size and, you know, the kind of smarts to be able to play that position for Steve Spagnolo. Mountain Man asks, why aren't teams more aggressive in getting as many top 100 picks as possible? Feels like they should trade all 4th through 7th round picks to move up. Go after who they want instead of waiting. I really wanted to ask Maddie because I'm pretty sure this is his burner. And Maddie was just in the mountains this week. Are we sure this isn't Matt's burner? Because NFL GMs are cowards. Bold-faced cowards. I mean, realistically, if you run an NFL team, you need to take extra swings because that increases your chance to hit, blah, 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 blah. It essentially, it's just they have no confidence in themselves to hit on less picks. They have no stones. They don't have a backbone. They don't believe that they are good enough drafters to take their guys that they like. They are afraid to trade four draft picks that have like a 2% chance of even making the roster to get one chance at a guy with a 15% chance to matter. Somebody should do it. The problem is if or when you have a bad draft, you're probably fired because you literally drafted four and a half guys and that was it that year. Hey, Matt, I got a question for you. Who's Brett Feach's best draft pick? Frank Clark. No, 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 no. Don't Maddie answer this. Hmm. Hmm. Derek Nottie? It's Legarius Steed, okay, Kent? Okay. All right. What what round was he taking? Well, they would have taken him first on day three. Mm-hmm. If we had the first pick in the fourth round, we would have taken. And you know, you know my stance on this. I think the first 15 picks on day three matter because everyone gets to reshuffle their board. I think after you reshuffle your board and the top 15 guys go, I think the draft becomes a complete crapshoot and undrafted free agents are just as good as everybody you're taking from there on out. Hey, yeah. Maddie, did, uh, did Legereus need go in the hey, first? Hey, don't blame me. Blame round. every other team that wasn't smart enough to see how good he was. 
So you're telling 31 me teams are cowards to be had still. You're telling me there's value to be had still in the late fourth round. All I'm hearing is that teams are cowards. Brett Baker, 90. Do you guys think that you should look for an X receiver in the draft or trying to find a reliable option via free agency or trade, uh, given how slowly Andy brings on rookie wide receivers? Uh, the answer is yes. So I think they should be doing both. They need to draft a wide receiver in a deep wide receiver class where there will be good value all the way into day three. Oh, hey, look, value on day three, Matt. Uh, and they need to go find somebody in free agency as well. I think they need to have someone with a little bit more immediacy, um, whether that's a, a big or small swing at the X spot. They need to find somebody that they can get in the offense quickly. But they also need to make sure that they are continuing to keep the, the, the cupboard full at the wide receiver spot. And so they've got to do both. I think, I think this is a year you grab you go grab somebody in free agency, uh, and then you go and you grab a talent uh, in, in this draft. Tylen Wallace. Like, we've all talked about Tylen Wallace a lot. Keep an eye on him at, like, 96. If he's there at 96, that would – or oh, 95. Dang it. I keep doing this. I mean, it's just pain, just a lot of pain. But anyways, Tylen Wallace into the third round. We're just going to start saying in generalities instead of numbers anymore. Ball game 21-32. Should the Chiefs, or should Chiefs fans panic if Frank Clark goes into next year with zero changes to his current deal? He would be the third highest defensive cap hit in the NFL. Well, that that depends on how you're looking at Frank Clark. If my mentions are anything, then no, they shouldn't panic because y'all want to get rid of him immediately, right now. And if you change his cap hit, that reduces your ability to get rid of him in the next year. Frank Clark has a lot of dead money. It is very hard to get rid of him. You would have to trade him to get any money back, but... Based on the way that he finished the season and, you know, his physical problems right now, I think we're seeing now over the course of two seasons, we got a little bit of a pattern. We don't know if he could pass a physical, if he could be traded, anything like that. So if you are looking to get rid of him, then no, you should not panic if they don't change the contract because it allows you to get out of it quicker. Now, here's the thing. The Chiefs love Frank Clark. I also love Frank Clark. If Frank Clark restructures his contract, he's playing that thing out. And that means that they trust that whatever physical issues that he had this year are going to be resolved in the future. So that's really going to be more of a telling thing as to what they think they're going to get out of future Frank Clark. Because if they do restructure him, then they believe that this is going to work out. Just similar to how they did with Anthony Hitchens and everybody went why are they restructuring him they're making it very hard to get out of Anthony Hitchens now all of a sudden it's like okay well I'm glad that we have Anthony Hitchens because yeah he's been a good player so but yeah go ahead that's what the, I mean the team the, chi the team is telling you what they think about those players mm -hmm. when they when they create those commitments they believe in they believed in Frank Frank didn't have a great year mm -hmm. they believed in Hitch Hitch played better yeah and I mean, that's just, I mean, kind of look at it that way. The, the team is doing all these things to you know, and take that into consideration. The team's perception of those, they were all in on Frank Clark. I don't know if Frank Clark's situation has changed from last year to this year, but I know last year they wanted to get further into bed with them. Yeah, they did. And those players are always willing, not always, but a lot of those guys are willing to restructure because it means that they get more of their money guaranteed. They don't have to move their family. They don't have to leave. Frank Clark wants to be on this team. He wants to win more Super Bowls. That's part of it. So if they are willing to restructure, I almost guarantee you that Frank Clark is willing to accept the restructure. Well, yeah, and that's, that's something to keep an eye on with Chris because if they restructure him, mm -hmm and they get farther into bed with him, they're telling you exactly what they think about Chris Jones moving forward too. Uh, and I wonder if they, I wonder if they ac exercise that or if they move on. Like they, I mean, this, this is a big defining year for him. I mean, they've created, they've created an, like the contract structure gives them the ability to get out or get farther into bed as they go. Correct. And that's, what's going to be really fascinating. And, and what they'll, what that kind of tells you um, about this team and what they think about their defensive linemen, both of them. Because if they cut bait with Frank this year, I mean, they're pretty they're pretty annoyed, you know? 
they, that'll tell you a lot if they move on from Frank because, I mean, they just they just committed to him significantly more last year. You know, it's it's going to be interesting. And Russell, 2018, Byron Pringle seemingly got quite a few more snaps in the playoffs than he usually does. Do you think his role in the offense will or should expand next year? And if so, does this change how early you attack wide receiver in the draft? So as the founding member of the Byron Pringle fan club, I do have to say, after seeing Byron Pringle play more snaps, one, I was happy, two, I think there are some significant game awareness questions. There are times where he does not seem to fully grasp, not necessarily his role, but as it becomes time to start to react and no longer just follow the playbook, there seems to be times where he seems a little confused, a little less sure of what he needs to do, of where everybody else on the team is, where everybody on the defense is, etc. He's a guy that seems pretty good at following the designed play, but when it just becomes pure reactionary, his game awareness does seem to tank a little bit, and I do think that's something that the Chiefs value greatly, is the ability to adapt to things on the fly, especially out of their wide receiver room. I think seeing him play more in the playoffs was because they had nobody to play wide receiver too. They had no X, they literally had nobody that could play X wide receiver for this football team. Byron Pringle gave them a guy that could be trusted to run the right route while be trusted to run to block while being trusted to be able to run a different route trees from different positions. It's just, I think there's a cap to what he can do for this team. Now, if he returns, I think that's great. I do think that helps the bottom end of your wide receiver room. That gives you a guy that is functional to take snaps, just not a guy you probably want to see playing 70 plus percent of the snaps anymore. I think that dream has kind of been sailed down the river once we've seen him out there more often. Oh, hi, Stags. Colin Saunders, off the roster or in Mike Pennell's role next season? Well, our handsome pal, Matt Stagner, forgot that Colin Saunders is the Chiefs' new dime linebacker now that uh, Week 17... <laughs> no. Um, I think, unfortunately, I think it's it's more likely that he's off the roster than he's taking Mike Pinnell's role because he's not the same type of player. He's an athletic player. Like, and that's why he was able to move to linebacker and run around a little bit. He is an athletic freak. He's got good lateral agility. He's got quick feet, but he doesn't have an awesome anchor. And Mike Pinnell does. Like Mike Pinnell is an immovable rock, and that's why he was great to rotate in there with Derek Nottie. And those two playing next to each other were some of the best run formations, unsurprisingly, of anything that the Chiefs did all year long. I think Colin Saunders is your backup three tech, and I think Turk Wharton took his job. And I think that they're going to keep Turk Wharton around. I would I would be curious to see if the Chiefs try and float you know, him around as maybe a trade candidate, somebody that a team could give a late asset for, you know, knowing that they've got Turk in-house, knowing they've got Chris Jones in-house, and knowing that Colin Saunders will continue to be inactive every single week as long as those two guys are on the roster. Austin Faulkner asks, what practice squad players do you think could make the jump and contribute next season? This kind of goes back to my Byron Pringle point, and I think he's a guy that helps the bottom end of the roster. He's a guy that, you know, gives you respectable snaps that you can rely on. A guy that I think could do that next year for the Chiefs from the practice squad, Tajay Sharp. Wide receiver, he started his career with the Titans, played for Minnesota last year, but didn't really play. But if you go back to his rookie year, even his second year and his third year with the Titans, I think there was an injury in there. So it might have been, you know, his first, three out of his first four years, he caught multiple touchdowns every year. He had eight touchdowns throughout the three seasons he got to play. His rookie year, he had over 500 yards. He's not a complete receiver. He's not great, but he runs nice fluid routes. He's a guy that's 6'2", 195 pounds, has great ball skills in the red zone. So he could just provide you a guy that can work on third downs. He's physical enough to block. He's got good spacing when he runs deep. He's not going to be a starter, but he might be a guy that could compete with Byron Pringle, compete with the lacking the lack of Demarcus Robinson to be the kind of bottom end of the roster wide receiver that does serve a purpose while you still look for someone to fill in at wide receiver two and three. Well, I'm taking the easy one. I'm taking DeAndre Baker. Uh, DeAndre Baker never got off the practice squad, unfortunately for him because of that bad injury and everything like that. DeAndre Baker, if he comes back, and it sounds like he will after 
breaking a major bone in his body. Just an absolute freak accident there. It sounds like he's going to be back. It sounds like he's already, you know, able to put weight on it and everything. I think he's got a chance to make the roster, be at the bottom of the cornerback depth chart, and work his way up. The Chiefs don't have a plethora of talent at the cornerback position, and DeAndre Baker is arguably, outside of luxurious need, the most talented player to come out at that position. So, if DeAndre Baker can get back to what he had done before, a year in the system, we know that Steve Spagnuolo can maximize these guys. Sam Madison works wonders, and he is a Sam Madison guy. Sam wanted him. So if Sam puts his eggs in that basket, I think DeAndre Baker's not only on this roster, I think he's got a chance to crack the lineup at some point next year. My guy's Daryl Williams, the interior offensive lineman out of Mississippi State. We liked him coming out a little bit. I think we had a, a, a day three grade somewhere in, in day three for him. Um, I mean, he was a guy that played a lot there, uh, had some experience, good movement skills. I think he's still at the point of attack. I wonder how quick he processes things. That was one of the questions I had about him. Um, I think physically there's a lot of ability there. I don't know if mentally he was all the way there. And he's kind of been back and forth a little bit. He got released from the practice squad at one point, I believe, then signed to a futures contract. So he kind of bounced around a little bit. That's not a great sign for him. It's not a bad sign. But um, if the mental side catches up to some of the physical ability that he does possess, I actually think he's a guy that could wind up being a part of this team next year. Late Y44, do you guys think DeAndre Baker could start for this team next season? Yeah, maybe eventually. Uh, I don't know right off the bat. And we'll see what kind of talent they bring into the mix here. Uh, but like Craig said, I, I think DeAndre Baker has a chance to make this football team and potentially be a contributor. Um, I don't think it's going to be week one. And we'll see what happens with that injury. Uh, but let's let's keep an eye. He's definitely a guy you keep an eye on. He's a worthy swing. He's a worthy lottery ticket. He's one of the most worthy lottery tickets that the Chiefs have had in their time. Antonio Callaway is another worthy lottery ticket too, by the way. Uh, he's a guy that's kind of been bounced around the league because of some some drug issues and stuff like that. But And Prince uh, Tega Winogo, as we've talked about as well. Prince another Winogo. worthy I mean, lottery the, ticket, yeah. One of the things I love about Brett Veach, uh, I love his lottery tickets. And I love how he the kind of swings he takes for depth and talent uh, at the bottom of the roster. I think it's really smart to turn it the way he does. All right, not a Chiefs fan asks Landon Dickerson Rashad Bateman and Jalen Phillips are all on the board who are you taking okay my favorite offensive linemen are smart finishers that talk you know just yap all game long Landon Dickerson is all three of those things (laughs) I love that man I'm taking him in a heartbeat I know he's got medicals but man you watch him and the way that that team loves him it it was it was ridiculous to watch the outpouring of emotion for him he was at the senior bowl coaching guys like he was like an extra coach for that team just because he was standing around in sweatpants telling guys how to use their hands and you know helping these guys out i would love to have a player like that in here because he's mean and he's physical and he's a really really good player but he's also got the mentality that I want this offensive line to have and I think that it can start by putting him under center maybe add a guy or two because the egg's a little nasty too put a guy or two on there that can play with some power play with a mean streak and be able to kind of out physical some of these defensive lines because I think the Chiefs have gotten a little soft up front so a big shift like that would help. I, too, would really like to say Landon Dickerson as long as the medical's checked out for the simple fact that I think Eric Fisher is the clear-cut leader of that offensive line room, and it's something we didn't really talk about earlier, but when you're having to deal with this decision coming up, you're either going to pay Eric Fisher to essentially sit out the entire regular season, or you're going to extend him to be here long-term. Whichever way you go, that's still the only leader of that offensive line room is going to not be playing for the first 16 games. Getting somebody like Dickerson who could come in I think even as a rookie, do a good job of commanding those guys, like setting an example, being the guy that is kind of the voice in the room. I do think he can do it early on. So that's where he impresses me. But this goes back to what we've talked about every single time we talk about draft stuff. Defensive ends that are athletic and long, you take them in round one. 
Jalen Phillips is athletic. He is long. He is dense. You're not getting that player prototype at any other point in the draft. I could hold out to get a Josh Myers or a Creed Humphrey at center. Do I like them as much as Landon Dickerson? Absolutely not. But I think they can give you a lot more of what Dickerson does than a round two edge can give me what Jalen Phillips does. If that's what I'm looking at, I do have to consider Phillips for the simple fact that dense, explosive defensive ends will not be there at 63. Offensive centers probably will be. If you're just looking on its face at the injury issues for both of them, and you're just like, I mean, Jalen Phillips is the guy that I put a higher grade. I graded both. I was the primary grader for both Jalen Phillips and Landon Dickerson, and I gave a bigger grade to Jalen Phillips. Blasphemy. <laughs> Unapologetic. Kent hates offensive linemen. Like Rasha- he does. Oh, man. What is, what is this? What? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure my guy, the list of my guys I'm going to have at offensive line this year is going to be ridiculous. All of the offensive linemen in this class are my guys after the, watching this team in the Super Bowl. Do we have to talk about the Super Bowl? <laughs> Jalen Phillips is my guy here too. Um, honestly, and we talked about it in this mock draft. Like the the talent's undeniable. The density uh, adjusted athleticism that you see from him. He's a guy that can play with power. Um, I heard someone talking on a podcast this week about how you know power players win in the National Football League, and like I think that's true, but it's you still have to be explosive. I hate like I hate like L.J. Collier. He plays with power, but he's not remotely explosive. You still have to play through a guy's chest with explosiveness. Breland speaks. One of the things they talked about was a power player that he wasn't explosive. Yes, he was running. He was playing through guys, but that doesn't mean he was as powerful. You have to have some level of explosion. Jalen Phillips has that. He has fluidity through his hips, fluidity through his frame. He's comfortable dropping even. I mean, my man was dropping better than some of the guys that are 30 pounds lighter than him. I mean, he's an impressive physical specimen. The only issue you have with him is is a medical concerns and maybe a little bit of do you love football. But he came back despite a bunch of injuries, despite retiring, to come back and play. Jalen Phillips is the best football player on this list, and that's saying a lot because I'm a big Landon Dickerson. We're going to fight. All right, that is going to that is going to do it. What, do you have something yeah, else? Yeah, Landon Matt? Dickerson is a better football player. Than Jalen <laughs> yes. Phillips? No. Nope. That's going to do it for the AP Laboratory. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with the AP Draft Show on Wednesday, probably continuing this argument between Jalen Phillips and Landon Dickerson with my dear pal, Maddie. Thank you all so much. We'll catch you later. Jalen Phillips would never catch Dickerson in a back alley, live.